Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Hey, uh, my name is Eric King. I do serve as executive pastor here at Grace Point. Uh, Pastor Mike and family is on vacation, so we can be praying for their fun and relaxation this week. But uh, hey, last week, he gave us the gift of song. Anybody remember? Gift of song. Well, coming after that, I, I don't want to be outdone, all right? So I just want to make sure when you leave, like, you remember, like, today. So to do that, uh, I gave each of you, hopefully you've, sorry, my envelope's already ripped, already cheated. I didn't obey the, <laughs> didn't obey, but uh, hopefully, do you have an envelope? Everyone have your envelope? All right, so are you, are you excited? Anybody have any idea what it is? Don't, don't spoil it. All right, so Oprah has got nothing on me, all right? So you're going to walk out of here going, man, I'm so glad. What a day to go to church. So on three, when I count to three, I want you to open it and then just kind of wave it in the air, all right? So you ready? I don't think you're ready. You're cheating. I haven't said three yet, all right? On three. One, two, three, open. Oh, my goodness, right? Come on. A million bucks. A million bucks. Some of you heard the topic of today was going to be about money, and you're like, well, I don't have any money, so obviously I don't need to be listening. Well, I just changed that for you, all right? So now you have money, but here's what I want to do. I want you to think about one day you wake up. Oh, by the way. I wouldn't try to use this for your meal today. They may give you a little, I don't want to hear any like police reports of this mass, like, uh, you know, fake money being all over Bentonville. So maybe let's hang on to this as a memento. But can you imagine waking up with $1 million in your account? So maybe it's, it was expected. Maybe you had a huge sale, a huge commission. Who knows? But maybe you expected it, but it was still, it showed up in your account. Can you imagine? What would you feel like? What would be the immediate emotions of a million bucks showing up in your account? Who do you think about? What do you think about buying? Right? So, yes, today, as Andrew said, we're going to talk about money, but we really aren't going to talk about money. As we'll see, as we continue our study in Matthew chapter 6, uh, we'll see a continuation of a theme that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. So I want us to to get to the text. And listen, money is always a a touchy subject, right? Uh, We just sang, like, there's a miracle that God has done in my heart. Then we sang about, I want want to give you everything. You are my everything. It takes a miracle of God to to ready our heart to listen to Jesus' words this morning as he talks about what we treasure. So let's go ahead and read together Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It'll be on the screen for us, but if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn with us. Matthew 6, we'll start in verse 19. It says, do not, and these are words of Jesus. So Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, 
And where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote it to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. These are words of Jesus speaking specifically about money. He talks about treasure, right? But then at the end he says you can't serve God and money. So we see clearly here in this passage, Jesus kind of lays out two pathways, right? He says, listen, there's two pathways you can choose. You can choose the pathway of laying up earthly treasures. You can care about earthly wealth. Or you can lay up treasures in heaven, not only does he like introduce the two paths, he's very quick to say, oh, and don't take the first path. Don't take the first path. Don't choose to lay up treasures here on earth. Now, if you're like me, money, like money's a hard topic, right? Uh, I even had a couple this morning when they heard the topic, they're like, oh, I'm already tensing up, you know? Like it's stressful. It's hard because, and Jesus even knew this. He spoke about money a lot while he was here on the earth. But I want us to, before we dive into the actual message here, I want us to go back and reflect on the heart of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, we started uh, the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Uh, it's, it's the first part of the Sermon on the Mount where it says, blessed is he, blessed is, blessed is they, right? And so uh, Pastor Mike talked through that with us and said that word blessed It's a good translation, but it's maybe not fully capturing the heart of Jesus. Maybe favor toward those who do these things. Maybe the best translation is to them, to those who experience a flourishing life. A flourishing life. That's God's heart. That's Jesus' desire for us is that we would have a flourishing life. So we read this text in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, remembering that Jesus desires We have a flourishing life. So he's not intending for something bad. He's not holding out on us. He's actually like a father saying, son, daughter, this is the life in which you will flourish. It's the life you're pursuing. Jesus said that I've come, right? He said I've come that day that we might have life and have it in abundance. I'm reminded of the words of the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament. It says, and these are words from God. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. So listen to God's heart. I have Plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This is the heart of God that we see reflected in a text that's pretty difficult as it talks about money. So I think before we get into the talking about the two different paths that Jesus introduces, my question is, can you trust the heart of Jesus this morning? Do you trust his heart? Because it's with that understanding, it's with that trust that we can enter in kind of this hard text here uh, in in the Sermon on the Mount. So two paths. The first path, he acknowledges, right? Jesus says, you can do this. You can live in such a way that you're storing up treasures here on earth. And then he, he immediately says, but don't do that. <laughs> don't lay up wealth here on earth. It's pretty clear, right? Like, don't do this. Do this. But personally, as I wrestled through that, trying to understand what Jesus means, because that's what we do as followers of Jesus, is we listen to his words, but then we learn how to apply them. God, how would you have me live my life differently in light of the teachings of Jesus? 
So I look to understand what does Jesus mean to lay up treasures here on earth. And fortunately, he told another story in another book uh, that, that's recorded in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 12. So this is a story that Jesus told, a parable is what they called, call them in Scripture. So this is a story Jesus told to help enlighten what he means by following the path of laying up treasure here on earth. He says there was a rich man. This rich man's land produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Anybody look at your bank account this morning and say, I have ample goods uh, laid up for many years. So what? I will relax. I will eat. I'll drink. I'll be merry. But listen to God's response to the man in the story. It says, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, where will they go? Then he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We see in this passage an example of this man who stores up treasures here on earth instead of heaven. Right? And so... He did something I think is pretty common in our culture today. You just get bigger, you get more accounts. You put, you store more wealth, right? And that's what the farmer, this rich man did. He's like, I've got wealth, I need to store it. So what was it that Jesus was not happy? Because you can tell he's pretty happy because he said, today your soul is required of you. If you don't know what that means, it's like, you're going to die tonight. I guess it seems pretty severe. Jesus, why were you so upset? Why are you so upset at this persona of this person in the story, and I think there's three reasons. As you, as you read this story, where did his wealth come from? It came from the land. It came from crops. Who created the land? Who created the crops? Who gave him the increase? There was zero acknowledgement in this man's heart toward God. He didn't say, God, thank you. I know that this is from your hand. He lived as if there was no God, he gave no acknowledgement. Second, notice how many times he used the word my. My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. This man had no interest or concern for others. He lived as if only his life mattered. And third, last, Although he felt very confident, he said, for many years, I have ample resources for many years. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to live it up. So he felt pretty confident in the temporary, but he had zero concern or thoughts about eternity. So this man lived as if there were no God. He lived as if, lived as if only his life mattered, and he lived as if there were no eternity. And for that reason, Jesus said, don't live like that. Don't be like this man. I want us to, to, to see what's not said. Jesus doesn't condemn. He doesn't talk bad about the wealth. He doesn't say the man was wrong because he gained wealth. That's not the issue. Some of you this morning, you came in and said, I don't have wealth, so I don't know. Eh, I'm good. Maybe some of you do have wealth. Uh, this message has zero to do about how much wealth you had. It has to do with our heart as we Look as we our perspective about money. Jesus didn't scold him for being wealthy. He, he scolded him because of his heart, because of his motivations. So as I just kind of reflected, like Jesus, 
is telling us, like his followers, he said, followers, don't lay up treasures here on earth. What, what would cause us to do that? Jesus is clear. But he's being clear because he knows that it's, it's a challenge for us. So what would motivate us? What does Scripture tell us about what motivates us to treasure wealth here on earth? Well, I think there are, there are four I want to highlight right now. There probably are more that you can think about that God lays on your heart. These are four common motivations that I see in my own heart and I see in the lives of others. And I think, first of all, we're motivated by fear. Fear of what? Fear of the unknown, right? Like inflation is real, bills are real, expenses are real, food's expensive, having family's expensive, we have college, you have health, you've got unemployment, and there's so many things that creates instability in our hearts and we have fear. Like what if we don't have enough to make ends meet? What if we can't pay our bills? What if we can't feed ourselves and our family? There's fear. Have you ever experienced financial fear? And the challenge is many times we're in this place, we, we look for wealth, we pursue wealth, not simply in a healthy way to provide for our needs, but we begin to pursue wealth so that we can obtain security. We obtain comfort. Like we're looking for money to fully satisfy us. So Jesus speaks to this further down in his sermon. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, Don't worry about your body, what you're going to put on. And we'll see why later in the text here. He says, don't be anxious. He acknowledges that it is a motivation in our hearts that causes us to treasure things here on earth. Many times we have fear, but not just fear. We see some perfect examples of the next motivation here in this story about this rich man. That's the motivation of just selfishness. The Bible often calls it selfish passions, right? Like we live for the passions of our own heart and our own life. I could come up with a list, but Jesus shares right here in this story some selfish passions that this this man who found this wealth, he immediately said, hey, I can have my own relaxation. I can eat. I'm sure he was thinking about eating well. Like it wasn't going to McDonald's, right? He probably was thinking of Chick-fil-A instead. I don't know. But he's like, I'm going to eat up. I'm going to drink. I'm going to live and be merry. He was thinking about his own selfish passions to put it maybe in today's terms he's like i'm gonna live the good life i'm gonna live the american dream right like i'm gonna live it up i'm gonna live it up so we see pursuit of our own passions desires our comfort for this lifestyle it can motivate us to want to store up wealth to achieve these passions that we have in our hearts we've seen uh, the motivation of fear and selfishness next a word that we see often in Scripture is, is the word covetousness. Covetousness. This is the third motivation that I think we struggle a lot with today. And to covet basically means to wish for or long for or to crave for something, especially the property of someone else. Now, where do we do this most often today? We call it, yeah, like doomsday scrolling through the reels, right? Or we see people sharing their life on the social channels, and we're like, man, their life is so much better. Their truck is so much newer. Their boat, well, I don't have a boat, so all of them are better. Like, it's better. Like, it's all better. It's better. It's better. And we begin to be discontent with what we have. The Bible calls this covetousness. And Jesus says, listen, in Luke 12, it says, take care and guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus knew that this was a motivation in our heart, and he says, don't covet. 
So we also see the fourth motivation is just this desire to keep up appearances. There are cultural norms that we call norms that we try to live up to, the expectations of others. Like we want to live up to this, this appearance of success in the world, right? Jesus even focuses on as we give, as we're generous. He says there are times where you give out of a motivation of appearance, even when you give to the poor or give to the church. He says in Matthew 6, uh, verse 2, further up in our passage, it says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Can you imagine? <laughs> Each one of you dropping your offering in the box, you're giving online, you've got a guy or someone standing beside you and sounds the trumpet. I guess that must have been a thing back in the day. I'm glad that's kind of passed with time. But still, we often do things with the motivation of wanting to impress. And Jesus says, don't do that as the hypocrites do. Do any of these motivations sound uh, personal? I know I wrestle with these at different times in my life, and I think if we're honest, we all wrestle with the, the, the motivation of fear, this motivation of just wanting what I want. I want to live the good life. I want to fulfill my passions. Or, hey, I just want what they want. <laughs> I want what they have. I want the better life that I'm not having right now and I desire something that God's not given me. Or maybe I just want to live up. I want to live up to the appearances of being successful. So motivations matter. Once again, Jesus doesn't speak to the wealth. He speaks to the man's heart. So Jesus said, don't go down this path. Don't take that path. Because here are the outcomes. And he gives us some clear outcomes of if you pursue this path of pursuing earthly treasure, earthly wealth, What's it going to do? What's it going to promise? What does it guarantee? And we'll see that earthly treasure, first of all, Jesus says it's temporal. It's temporal. How does he say that? He says, listen, the wealth of the earth, it's susceptible to moths eating it, to rust destroying it. And maybe your treasure, you know, if you leave this out, I don't know if you have a moth problem. I don't know if that's a real thing anymore. The reality is instability is real. With economic factors, I mean, we've, we've experienced it. Uh, I remember a season of time where I just never looked at my retirement fund because I knew it was bad, right? And like there's factors that are uncontrollable that depreciate the value of our wealth. Jesus said the wealth of this earth, it's temporal. It will pass away. Proverbs, we're told in Proverbs 23, 4, it says, do not toil to acquire wealth. And it, 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 we're, we're guided here to, to be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, just when you see it, when you capture it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Proverbs eighteen eleven. I love kind of the, the sarcasm of this passage. It says, a rich man's wealth is, is a strong city. And like a high wall, where? In his own imagination. Like we, we have strength, we find strength. But it's all in our imagination because... Earthly wealth, it's temporal. We, we, have state, we have statements that we say, right? Like, hey, you can't take it with you. You've heard that. Maybe you've said it. Or a good southern statement is like, hey, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? Like we know earthly treasure is temporal. And God is, Jesus is reminding us, like, don't invest your life in things that will not matter in the end. Second outcome is money is insatiable. That word insatiable means it's never 
satisfied. Jesus literally refers to money as a master, right? Like it is a master, it can be a master of our life. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you serve money or you serve God. So money is, is called a master in our lives. So what does it mean like for money to be, like does this paper literally tell me what to do? Like I'll wake up, open my wallet, and say, okay, what are my orders today? Like that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is the promises that we sense wealth can bring us are never fulfilled. We continually pursue them, and it drives our actions. It causes us to to do actions to overcome the fear, to overcome the covetousness, to overcome appearances like we constantly are striving to, to finally be done, to arrive. And the problem is we never get there. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy, it says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Money is not bad, but it's temporal. It will never fully satisfy us. And it's interesting how James in his book, he talks about how money, a pursuit for wealth, can actually be divisive in the church. And James says, he's like, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war with you? Then he goes further down and says, you have not because you ask not. And you ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. The selfishness of our own passions and our pursuit for wealth becomes divisive in the body of Christ because of the covetousness, because of the selfishness. James says, don't pursue, don't love money. It brings divisiveness in the church. So Jesus says, hey, you can follow the path. You can pursue wealth. There's nothing wrong with wealth. But when your heart desires it to fulfill your desires, you pursue it with no acknowledgement of who God is. You pursue it with no acknowledgement of others. And you pursue it with no a heart toward eternity or understanding eternity, Jesus says, don't go down that path because it's temporal. It will never satisfy. And listen, it causes division. So if we shouldn't take the path, which Jesus is clear, well, Jesus, what path should we take? Jesus, teach us. And this is where we can kind of sit down at the feet of Jesus as the master discipler. We talk about discipleship here a lot. And really discipleship is learning to to to, to act like Jesus, to be like Jesus, and so we sit at the feet of Jesus, and he's going to talk to us about how we, we view our, our possessions, how we view money, how we view wealth. And so he says, lay up treasures in heaven. Now, I'll be honest with you. I read that. I'm like, I don't really know what that means. Jesus, what do you mean by that? Like, I don't know how to make a deposit. Like, where is that ATM? Like, I don't know what that means. Even over in the passage we read in Luke 12, Jesus use the words, be rich toward God. I, I had to, like, okay, Jesus, you got to help me understand what that means. I love the way uh, pastor and author John Piper spoke to being rich toward God. He said, being rich toward God is the opposite of acting as if life consists in the abundance of possessions rather than in the abundance of knowing God. Being rich toward God, therefore, is the heart of being drawn toward God as our riches. Rich toward God means moving toward God as 
our riches. Rich toward God means counting God greater riches, counting Him as the greater riches than anything on earth. It means using earthly riches to show how much you value God. So how, do we, how can we be rich toward God? How do we build up treasures in heaven? Jesus gave us a pretty clear, uh, a pretty clear way here in the text. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. If we want to build up treasure in heaven, if we want to be rich toward God, what do we do? We seek his kingdom first. Kingdom How do we seek his kingdom? I'm glad you asked. The first thing we do to seek his kingdom, especially with our money, right? Like we're talking specifically about the the wealth, the the money that God's given us. So how do we pursue and seek God's kingdom? First, we treasure the king of the kingdom. We treasure him, God, as most supremely worthy. We treasure God most supremely worthy. So how do we do that with our money? Like, how do we treasure God? How do we show we treasure God, even with our possessions and our money? First of all, we do so by trusting him. We trust him. We trust him in his goodness, his sovereignty. He's sufficient. We can rest in knowing who he is and what he's done. Like We can trust him to provide. We don't have to grasp. We don't have to to pursue wealth, to meet all of our needs. We can trust God that he has the best for us and that he is able to supply. We're told in Philippians that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul encourages us, he says, God is able to bless you abundantly. It's God's heart to bless you abundantly so that in all things and all times having all you need, You abound in every good work. Listen, we honor, we treasure God by trusting him. We trust him because of who he is. Second, we we treasure, we, we honor, we seek God's kingdom when we focus our life on pursuing to know him. We consider him as the greatest treasure in our life. The apostle Paul tells us that he counts everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul says, there's nothing greater. There's no value. There's nothing to pursue in my life greater than knowing God. We seek for God's kingdom by pursuing a life of knowing him. So how do we pursue God? We've talked about this in the fall, talking about some spiritual rhythms and And just like reading God's word, spending time getting to know God through his word. We spend time together in community, in the the church, learning together, encouraging one another. In prayer and fasting and solitude, we pursue knowing God. And listen, the amazing truth about the God that we worship in the Bible is that he's a knowable God. He makes himself known. Third, how do we pursue God's kingdom? And we're done. To the end. To the rescue. Okay, Apple, you have $80 billion. You can figure out how not to make that happen in the middle of a sermon. So, uh, I don't think Siri had the right answer. So maybe, maybe, I don't know. So, we first said that we, uh, how do we, how do we lay up treasures in, 
on earth. Or, I'm sorry, in heaven. See, Siri confused me. How do we lay up treasure in heaven? And Jesus said, seek kingdom, his kingdom first. And we said, first of all, we do that by seeking God. Like we treasure him as most worthy. Second, we seek the kingdom of God. We build up treasures in heaven when we live out the will and the ways of the kingdom. So we pursue him as most worthy, and then we obey and we live out his ways of the kingdom. So I just want to highlight a couple of ways. We could talk about that a lot, but once again, I want to focus on money. Like, how do we live in that posture with our money? And first of all, the one might kind of surprise us, and I think we forget that work was designed and created by God. Like, work, by working and providing is a way that we honor God's will and God's way. Even before the fall in the garden, Genesis 2.15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work is a part of God's design in partnering with him and providing for our own needs. And as we'll see in a little bit in the text, to also help provide for others' needs. It's the design of God that we work. So we honor God's kingdom. We honor his ways and his will by we work in order to provide God expects us to work. Even 1 Timothy 5.8 says, like, listen, if you don't provide for yourself, your relatives, your family, it's like you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. It's expected that we work. But we don't work for the sake of pursuing wealth. We don't work grasping for something that's temporal, right? We work to honor God, to provide for our needs and for the needs of others. And when we know that good gifts come from God, that he will provide all of our needs, we can find joy in our work. We can partner with God in caring for our needs of our family, but also in loving and caring for others. Trusting in God and his promises leads us from living with closed fists. So think of like someone hoarding wealth. They're grasping tightly to not lose the money. And God's saying, listen, when you honor me, when you live out the kingdom, your life will look like this. And his blessings will flow through us to others. So we work and we provide, but we also seek God's kingdom by giving, by giving generously. Listen, I wouldn't have brought this up except that it's everywhere in the Bible. Like Jesus' own words, like part of God's kingdom economy is, is generosity. We see it in the lavish gift of his son, Jesus coming to earth to die for us, the lavish generosity of Jesus. And it's part of God's will and his way that we would live radically generous. He's called us to be conduits of his blessings. It's kind of like the, the guy that received the wealth of his crops, right? Like instead of blessing others, what did he do? He hoarded it. He, he built bigger barns and he, he stored it up for himself. That's not God's heart. God wants to bless us, but he wants to bless us so that we can bless others. Paul tells us in Ephesians, he's talking about those who have wealth. He said he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that. Why? Why do we labor, Paul? so that we will have something to share with one who has need. Well, that changes our perspective of work, right? Like we should care, we should provide, we should pay the bills, we should provide for our family. But what if we're working beyond that to where we, we can provide for those who have a need? Paul also admonishes us in 1 Timothy 1. It says, they are here to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus... Storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. He, he kind of leans into that building up treasure into heaven because we're ready to share. 
Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go. If you want to be a mature disciple of Jesus, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Once again, Jesus is not interested in your money. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. He's interested in your heart. He desires for your heart to pursue him and his kingdom. And we do that by treasuring him as most high, by living out his will and his way, the kingdom in our own lives. And lastly, we do so by loving people with eternity in mind. We do so lastly by loving people with eternity in mind. So how do we do that? How do we live in a way that we relate to others with eternity in mind? So there's two things that come to mind. First is that we tell others about this gracious, good king of the kingdom. We tell others about God and the good news of Jesus, right? God is desirous that we would go and make him known to the nations. I love the story that Jesus told about the master of the house, this guy that was wealthy, threw together this huge banquet, right? The food, it was, I'm sure it was going to be an amazing party. He sent out his servants. You can find this in Luke 14. He sent out his servants and said, listen, go invite everyone to my party. And no one was showing up. So he literally said, go into the highways and hedges. I don't know what that means, but it probably means not near. He said, go far, go find people so that my house will be full. Hear God's heart. God has done everything necessary. He's provided the banquet in heaven, an eternal home for us, without need, without shame, without guilt in his presence. He's done all of that. He's provided that, and he says, now go invite. So how do we live for the sake of God's kingdom? We love people with eternity in mind. We lean into ways that we expand God's kingdom, both here in northwest Arkansas and all around the world. Places where God's name is not yet known, and we desire to make him known. So we love people with eternity in mind by making sure they hear about God and the good news of Jesus. Second, we love people with eternity in mind when we understand and embrace our eternal family. See, God desires us to love the people of God, his kingdom. And we find today, we find his people in what we call the church, this church, the global church. Uh, he tells us in John, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John thirteen thirty four. it says, through faith in Jesus, listen to the language here, we have an eternal family whom we will live with in eternity. So sorry, y'all, you're stuck with me. So look at the person to your left, person to your right, Maybe the person behind you, if they follow Jesus, you're going to spend eternity together because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is our eternal family, and God says for you to seek the kingdom of God, you need to love the people of God. We see this example Paul gives us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It gives us a picture of the early church uh, just doing this, like living it out. And they, it says that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. And one thing I pick up from that is we need to eat more together, right? Like there should be food involved in the gathering of the church together and for fellowship. In verse 43, it says, And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And catch this. They were together and they had all things in common. This, this is not communism. This isn't like a force, like, hey, sell your goods so that everybody has equal. This is 
want them loving one another, saying, hey, I have, you don't, I want to help you. Because they loved one another. They were selling their possessions, their belongings, distributing to all as had need. And by day and night, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to them the number day by day, those who were being saved. Jesus commanded us not to lay up treasures on earth. We talked about the beginning of the message. That leads to a the outcomes that is not a flourishing life. Jesus says, don't do it. The promises of earthly wealth is temporal. It will not satisfy you. It causes division among you. Pursue laying up treasures on earth. And we do that by seeking God's kingdom. We treasure God as our highest treasure. We orient, reorient, reorient our lives to the ways and the wills of God and his kingdom. And we love people in light of eternity. So if we do this, we saw the we saw the promises of the earthly treasure, but let's say that we do store up treasures on earth. What what does Jesus say that we can enjoy? First, we find life. Jesus started this passage saying, I want you to have flourishing life. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundant. We find life when we pursue and seek God's kingdom first. The life we're all looking for, the life the people are looking for that you're going to have lunch with today, the waitresses, the waiters, the people you encounter, they're all pursuing life. And Jesus says, listen, children, I've come that you might have life. Second, Jesus said in our passage, he says, in Luke 12, it says, fear not, little flock. Listen to his, his, his gentle words, fear not, little flock. So as a shepherd, don't fear, for it's your father's good pleasure. He's our father. He's saying, good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. He's able to give us the kingdom. Like the kingdom sounds pretty significant, right? Like instead of earthly temporal treasures, Jesus says, hey, I'll just give you the kingdom, the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? Just kind of some things that I thought of. What does it mean to inherit the kingdom of God? First of all, it means that we have our king. We have our king that we have communion with. We have perfect communion with God and his kingdom. We can know him and love him. We have identity as children of God. God has adopted us into his families. We're joint heirs with Christ. We are members of his eternal family. We don't have to pursue identity. We're promised provision. The Bible says that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in heaven. We find peace. The peace our heart desires is through Jesus as he gives us peace with God. We have security. The Bible says that Jesus is our rock, our fortress. We have satisfaction. Psalms tells us that we can find full satisfaction satisfaction in the steadfast love of God. And I love the imagery here. It says, if you store up treasures on earth, it's like storing it into a bag that has holes and tears and it just falls out the bottom but if you store up treasures in heaven he says it's a, it's a new bag it's secure a moth and a thief can't steal it it's secure you can rest you can rest and in the kingdom we find rest listen the promises of earthly treasure has no comparison with the kingdom so Jesus doesn't care about your money 
He loves to bless us. He blesses us. What we do with his blessings is what Jesus is most interested in today. He cares about our hearts. He loves us. So as we just reflect on the words of Jesus today, just four things that, that came to mind for me that I'd like for us to examine as we kind of transition. And we'll have a few moments when I'm done for you to just kind of pray and reflect and let God speak to your heart. So first, I'd like for you just to evaluate, evaluate your own life. And who I'm speaking to here is maybe someone who's never given their life to Christ. You're not living with eternity in mind. You've never seen God as the ultimate treasure. of Knowing God is the ultimate treasure. And Jesus says, come. Come who are weary and heavy laden. You're pursuing life. Come to me and I'll give you life. He provided the means through his death, burial, and resurrection that we might have life. And we simply confess and receive Second, anything within the motivations God kind of stirred your heart, like fear, covetousness, just selfish passions, your appearances. What was it that God said, yep, that's it for you right now? What would God have you to do this morning? Third, I'd like to examine our love for for our eternal family. So this concept of loving people with eternity in mind involves fostering a sense of community and love within our church body. So in what ways are you investing in the church body? Are you serving? How can you deepen your love for the eternal family and contribute to our growth and well-being as a church family? What might God impress in your heart today? Last, as you just kind of reflect on the last weeks, months, years, the blessings God's given you as it relates to money. How have you been generous? Have you been generous to the kingdom, of expanding the kingdom? But Jesus very specifically says, you should give to the poor. You should give to the needy. You should give to the marginalized. How have you prioritized giving to those in need in your life? Take just a few moments. Let God... In his grace, remember his grace. He loves you. He desires flourishing life. Let him speak to your heart this morning. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.